Cool. Thanks, you guys. That was awesome. Um, hey, everyone. It's good to be with you guys tonight. And um, yeah, it's, it's Father's Day um, today, which is cool. My parents actually came along to the service this morning because we don't, I don't really have much time to sort of go and do lunch and stuff like that. And they weren't going to come because they, had, they were at their church. They go to church in Redcliffe and they were on welcome at the door. They like had a job to do, but they ended up going to the church and welcoming everyone and then leaving and coming here. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was really nice. <laughs> They're like, welcome, we're leaving. <laughs> but, but I think, they, I think they, they shared it. They sort of said, oh, my son's preaching, so we're going over here. But it was, it was not really nice to see them. Um, and I, I shared briefly this morning as well just about my dad coming today, which was really cool. And um, one of the biggest things that my dad did for me was... I used to be, and still am, quite a fearful person, and particularly when I was a young kid, very fearful. I was like afraid of golden retrievers, like fearful of everything. Like, and and I, <laughs> and I, I was really afraid of roller coasters. And we went to Dreamworld one day. I was like, I'd never ever go on a roller coaster. And Dad is is a long story, but he basically encouraged me and just helped me overcome fear and 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 go on this ride. And it was this huge turning point. And then I just started going on all sorts of crazy rides and going bungee jumping and doing all this sorts of wild stuff that I'd never, ever do before. But, but he sort of just encouraged me to be like, actually, you can face fear and you can, you can push through and you can engage. Um, and it was just, yeah, probably one of the biggest things that Dad did for me, which was, which was awesome. Um, and it was interesting because it's kind of similar to what we're talking about uh, tonight. And I just have this message called Wholehearted. Um, and the pitch up that kind of describes what that is. And, and um, I wasn't going to speak this message. I actually was preparing a different message for this week, um, just sort of more around Father's Day and God's love and, and his commitment to us. And then it was sort of late in the week, and I was just praying, and it just felt like, actually, no, this is the message to speak. And it has kind of really come out of where I've, I've been at the last couple of weeks, and I said this morning, I'm kind of mostly preaching to myself today, and you guys can just watch, and maybe you get something out of it. Like, but that's kind of, I feel like God's spoken this to me, but I feel like maybe um, a lot of people in a similar circumstance will have a similar experience, and, and there's a word that he might want to say um, about being wholehearted. Because I think I, I've, just in the last couple of weeks, as you guys know, like I've been um, working through a new role at church and sort of starting a new season and the sort of the normal thing would you would expect is like, oh, you're really excited and you're really pumped and you're sort of ready to go. Like, and people kind of ask me that, like, oh, you're really excited about this teaching pastor role and, and stuff. And it's kind of like, well, kind of, but also I'm kind of just feeling kind of flat in some ways. Like, I'm kind of thinking about the last year, um, which has been a really good year of having to trust God and having to step out and having to be wholehearted and just jump off the edge and trust Him and and meeting, realizing that he provides and realizing that he's close. And that's been really, really good and kind of been in a really vulnerable place personally. And I guess even as a church, we've been sort of in a transition and there's been uncertainty and we've pressed into God and we've prayed. And then we kind of get to a place of a bit more stability. And there's this temptation to kind of just pull back a bit and sort of just settle there for a bit. And I think I've been feeling that a bit like, oh, okay, finally I can just sort of just relax and just sort of just take it back a bit, just sort of not have to give fully and trust fully, but kind of just hold back and have a break because it's been hard and we've done lots of good stuff and let's just relax for a bit. And I'm not saying that rest is wrong. Rest is really important. But a heart posture of just pulling back and being passive 
and a bit more complacent and actually, actually, I'm just going to protect and just going to stay here rather than keep stepping into what God wants. And I was just praying um, the other, night, other afternoon and just felt like God was saying, no, the thing to do is just continually stay in this place of trust and dependence and wholeheartedness and worship. And then this message just came. It was just this, Romans 12, it's just this amazing description of that. So I want to go through this today and just as, as a picture, I suppose, of what a wholehearted life of faith could look like, an encouragement to step in, to not... Because yeah, you might know in your own life, like there's, there's situations, maybe financial situation, maybe emotional, maybe relational, something goes really bad and you realize actually you really need God. And it's actually sometimes a bit easier to trust God then because you have no option. It's, it's I have to trust God and God has to come through, otherwise it, nothing's going to work, it's going to be terrible. And maybe then you get to a place where actually now you have some more finances or maybe you have the relationships are fixed and the emotional stuff or the physical stuff has sort of worked its way out and actually it kind of almost feels a bit like I don't have to trust God anymore. There's a temptation to actually pull back and say, oh, thanks God, you got me here, I'm good now and I'm just going to relax and take it from, take it from here. Like, whereas actually that's a lie. Like, there's, there's, there's no place that's safe except for trusting and depending on Him but there's this temptation to, to just sort of settle or become complacent or self-sufficient. But actually what he's calling us to and, and is just this life of just continual trust, wholehearted rest and confidence in him. So I want to go through Romans 12 as a picture of this and, and sort of just inspire and encourage, like I said, myself and, and us to step into maybe, maybe there's a next season that you're facing. Maybe there's just a new um, thing God's calling us to. And there's a tendency just to be like, actually, this is what I know and this is what's safe. And to step over it sounds scary. But actually, to hold back is to, to withhold something. It's not wholehearted. And it actually doesn't feel right. But to step in and trust is wholehearted living. So like Steve said before, thanks so much. Steve shared um, a bit of out of the start of Romans 12 and this idea that God has wholeheartedly given himself to us. And this is Paul writing this letter to the Romans. It's like he takes 11 chapters and talks about God's mercy and God's grace in Jesus. And then he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so in, in response to how good God has been to us, that we just remembered and, and celebrated at communion, he says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This picture of God has offered himself to us. The way to respond is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. So this is not that we just offer part of ourselves. Or, or we even talk about give your heart to Jesus. And that, that's true, but sometimes we kind of think that's just a part of ourselves. Like, but this is saying your whole body, your whole self, your whole life, every aspect of our lives, we offer to him in worship that that's actually the right response. And that's actually the place he's saying this is a living sacrifice. Like it's a sacrifice that stays on the altar. And it's actually a place where life is found. We don't sort of offer and then come back. <laughs> we stay in this place of, of dependence and trust and offering of ourselves to him no matter what. He keeps going. He says, do not, be, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Again, this picture of not pulling back and just being influenced by the situations or the circumstances or the thinking patterns 
of this world, which might say that. They might say, well, actually, we've got enough stuff to sort of get by on our own now, like, makes sense just to look after ourselves. Like, that, that, that's kind of a, a thinking pattern of the world compared to being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Actually, what's true is that God is Father, and we live, and everything we have comes from Him as a gift, and we stay in this place of dependence and trust in His sufficiency. So we don't pull back and be conformed, but step forward and be transformed by our mind. So it's offering a body and mind. There's another way to um, sort of translate that, that verse. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Sometimes we might even be in a situation, and it, if you look at it, it, it's just overwhelming. It's like, how will we face that? It feels so dangerous to step forward and be wholehearted. It seems like the right thing to do is to withdraw, is to protect. But he's saying, actually, we don't base our decisions on what we see, on what the situation is, on what the circumstance is, but on who God is, on what he's said, of what he's promised. And actually, it's the, it's the truth. It's not so much how we feel or our circumstances. It's, how, it's the truth about who he is that we sort of fill our minds with and let that transform us and grow us. So the first part of this, this chapter just talks about wholehearted worship, a life of offering ourselves to God, not just on a Sunday for an hour, yep, we've done our worship, not just for a year or two, yep, we've done our worship, not just these parts of our lives, or not just when it's easy, or even not just when it's hard, like, like all the time. We stay in that place, and, and an engaged place with God, a heart place with God, and that can feel vulnerable even. That can feel like, well, actually, we're putting ourselves out there. But actually, he's faithful and he's true. And that's the safe place. That's the place we're designed to be. Not, not a place where we come back and we'll just do it ourselves, but a place of actually we live for you and our life and meaning and purpose is found in you. So wholehearted worship. He keeps going in this chapter and then he starts talking about the, the church and he calls it the body which is the church, not the building, but the people and the body of Christ. He says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So he's, he's calling them, again, to wholehearted worship, and then he's calling them to reflect on themselves and not to be prideful, but to be humble. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members... So we have lots of body, different parts of our body. These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So he starts talking about this picture of the body of Christ, and actually that there's all these people that are together but different. There's a unity, like, a, like our physical bodies have unity, and there's a diversity in that there's difference. But the thing is that everybody belongs to the body. And he's kind of speaking almost against Two forms of pride. One form of pride might say, well, actually, the gift that God's given to me is better than anybody, everybody else, and I don't need anybody else. And maybe this even looks like, actually, I don't really need church. I don't really need other Christians. I'm just going to have my life with God. And maybe that even comes out of pain. Like, I've been hurt by other people. I've been, I've been disappointed by the church. Actually, I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to hold back and just do it myself. Or it could be another form of pride, which is an inferiority which says, I don't have anything to contribute. I, I don't have anything to give. Actually, what I give would be worthless. It would be insignificant. Or no one would even notice anyway. 
So, so what's the point? And there's this, this withdrawal. But his point is, he's saying, the point is not what the gift is. The point is not the, the, the amount of it. The point is that everybody who believes in Jesus is in the body. And therefore, there's a call to be engaged wholeheartedly because if we don't, we actually negatively affect everybody else. It's not just a you, me and God um, faith, but a, a body which we're a part of no matter what. This is what James Edwards says. Christians, all Christians, are members of an orchestra. Not one of them is a soloist. This is a picture of that we can't just go and play solo with God. If we go and play solo with God, there's a seat in the orchestra that's missing a person. Like the, 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 it impacts the other people that are there. It impacts what God wants to do. Therefore, he says, don't pull back with our service or with our gift and say, well, we don't, we don't need to serve. We're fine by ourselves. Or we don't need to serve because actually I don't really have anything to contribute. He says to be faithful with what we've been given and wholeheartedly give in service. He starts to describe this like this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. He's saying whatever your gift is, use it. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You see, the, the point he's making is that everybody who believes in Jesus is a part of the body. And every body part has a significant part to play. And therefore, he's calling everybody to wholehearted service and giving. To not just say, well, actually, my part's not important. Or not say, I don't need other people. But actually say, actually, I'm going to give wholeheartedly of what God has given me. And this is not a, this is not a thing that says that we're, we're great. The whole point is that God has given these things. That these are gifts of grace. They're ways that God works. But again, some, sometimes we might have had a bad experience or, or we sort of maybe think, actually, well, being wholehearted in my service, that just sounds difficult. Again, people might not notice. Maybe it won't lead to anything. It's sometimes easy to be like, even maybe say, actually, I served for a while. Like I, I did my, my thing when I was a youth leader, and then I served for a couple of years at church, and I've kind of done my time, and that's kind of, that's it. That's pretty good. Or, and, and, and we kind of can easily sometimes tap out and withdraw. And God has actually given us something that's for the benefit of his body, and we kind of hold it back. And his encouragement here is that we, we give wholehearted worship to God and wholehearted service into his kingdom, no matter what the response is, it, that it's for him, that it's offering for him of the gift that he has given. So this, this is his encouragement to give wholehearted service. He keeps going then and starts talking about love and the way that we sort of have relationships and, and um, treat each other in the body. And again, this is just like strong encouragement to be wholehearted. It's not, it's not at all passive or complacent. It's, it's strong. I'm just going to read it out. He says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. These are strong language. Like in, in view of what God has done, be devoted to one another. It's a wholehearted love for each other. This is not just be nice to each other and tolerate each other. It's commit, love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. He says we don't, we don't just serve the Lord passionately for a few years 
and then say, okay, I'm just going to relax for a bit now. He says, no, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor to keep this passion and service for God. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's a great picture of wholehearted love, of, of giving, of serving, of being encouraging, of being generous in response to what he's done and who he is. And again, we might sort of, again, kind of pull back because we might say things like, well, we don't, want to be fake, or we don't want hype. And when we talk about, like, just be zealous and, and spiritual fervor, like, maybe that sounds a bit like hype, and, and we just don't want to be fake, and we want to be genuine, and we want to be authentic. But sometimes, or maybe we just don't feel that at the moment, and then we sort of think, well, actually, let's just pull back. But sometimes we can pull back, and in our effort not to have hype, we can actually just become dry and, and dull and passive and inactive and this is, this is a call not at all to hype or to fakeness, but, but genuine zeal and love and passion for God that's cultivated, that's continued, and that when there's a sense of pulling back in complacency that we push forward in love, wholehearted love. And it's interesting because he, he describes then and keeps going and talks about love even when it hurts. Because to be wholehearted with love is, is, is hard. Again, it's vulnerable. It's risky. And it may be painful. It may be difficult. It, maybe we actually put our heart out in love towards others and they don't reciprocate. Or maybe even worse, they use it and, and abuse it and it's, it's harmful. But he even encourages these believers in view of what God is like and what God has done, even when people do that, stay wholehearted in love. He says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. They're saying if people come against you, the thing to do is not withdraw, but actually stay wholehearted in love and even bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This love actually connects us to other people. So actually when they're happy, we, we benefit and we enter into that. But also when they're sad, it affects us because we're connected to them in love. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is wholehearted love, even when it hurts, even when it's difficult. And he keeps going and describes this in a bit more detail about when people actually do evil to, to the, the Roman church. And again, this applies to us. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. He doesn't say be wholehearted in love until someone mistreats you. He says, actually, when someone mistreats and does evil, takes advantage, we stay wholehearted in love. And again, this, is, this needs to be understood in context, and it doesn't mean we stay in situations maybe that are abusive or that are dangerous. There's, there's, there's wisdom around that. But there's a posture still of love, even to people when they do evil. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is almost a picture of actually the love that we show to an enemy may even turn them, may even shift them, may even cause them to repentance. And he finishes this awesome chapter with, do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Again, it's this picture of if we hang back and withdraw, the, tem- the tendency is not that that's not a neutral place, but it's a place that tends towards being overcome. And actually the thing to do is not to maintain, but to take an offensive position of good in this situation. Actually, if, if, if we wholehearted in love and we cop it for it, the thing to do is not pull back and protect, but actually stay wholehearted in love, and that actually overcomes it. It's this, this continual love and self-giving, which again reflects what God is like. That's what He is like. In Romans earlier, it says that while we were yet His enemies, He died for us, that He continues to love even when rejected. And He calls us to that same kind of wholehearted love of giving ourselves to each other even when it's painful, of wholehearted service, of using what He's given us, being faithful with it, cultivating it, playing our part in the body for His name and for His glory and for for each other, and wholehearted worship of offering ourselves to Him, staying on the altar, staying in a place of, of trust and dependence and all of life for God. This is this beautiful picture of wholehearted life. No matter what season we're in, there is to be no half-hearted life with God. He desires us to continually respond to his giving of himself by giving fully of ourselves. And again, this, this often is an intentional decision. Like Paul is talking to them and he's, he says, I urge you on the basis of the mercies of God, offer your body. It's, it's an intentional decision to keep stepping out, to keep engaged, to keep trusting, to keep loving, no matter the season. Jim Elliott um, said it this way. He said, wherever you are, be all there. Which is easier said than done. It's easy to be in the past. And I sort of say, well, I was wholehearted back then. Or it's easy to be in the future and say, well, if this thing changed or if these things came together, then I could be wholehearted. (laughs) It can be hard to be, well, actually, right now, in the season that God's got me, what does it look like to be wholehearted in worship, in service, in love? What does it look like to be engaged? And that will look different when when we're a uni student or when we have kids or retired. Service will look different. But the issue is not so much the amount or what it is, but, but a heart posture of remaining engaged, not withdrawing, not saying my time's done, I did, it, I did a bit, but that's enough. I did a bit, but then it got too hard. I'm going to pull back, but actually stay engaged, wholehearted for God. And this is a challenge, but there's this, this story in the Old Testament, a man who did this in such an amazing way. Because even thinking about this, in some ways, we, we might be tempted to sort of think, okay, this sounds good. I'll be wholehearted for God. And then he'll come through and, and everything will work out and everything will be fine and everything will be good. And, and if it doesn't, then I'm out. <laughs> like, I'll do it for a bit until God comes through and then I'm, then I'm back. But there's, this, there's a man in the, in the Old Testament who was wholehearted for God and it didn't come through and he stayed wholehearted for God until it did. And it took a long time. His, his name is Caleb. And it's the story of the Israelites being on the edge of the promised land. There's the people that God has rescued from Egypt. He's done amazing miracles. He's brought them through the wilderness. He's made promises to them. He's promised them this land. He's shown that he's powerful to fight for them. And they get right on the edge of it. They're right there. 
And Moses sends out 12 spies into the land to scout it out and see what it's like. And they go into it and they see that it's really good. It's, it's amazing. There's like huge fruit. And, and it's this good land. And two of the spies are Joshua and Caleb. And they go in and they're excited. And they say, God has given us this land. God is with us. God, God will fight for us. And they're ready and willing to go forward in wholehearted trust and obedience to what God has said. But the 10 other spies, they see the good land, they see the fruit, they see everything that looks awesome, but then they see the enemies, they see the cities, they see the difficulties, and they think this is way too hard. There's no way we can go in. We will die. And they come back, and they tell that to all the other Israelites, and they get all um, like basically turned away and discouraged. And Caleb and Joshua, who are wholehearted, ready to go in, they've seen the land. It's right there. They're saying, let's go. We're right here. God is with us. Because of the 10 others, everybody else says, actually, nah, we don't want to do that. That's too dangerous. It feels safe here. We're just going to camp out here. Or actually, no, we're going to go back to Egypt. Because that was easier. That was more comfortable. That was, that was simple. And Israel don't go. And imagine if you're Caleb. They, then they, they have to go into 40 years of walking in the wilderness. Imagine if you're Caleb. And you've been there ready to go wholehearted. And now because of these 10 other spies in all of Israel, you have to go into the wilderness for 40 years. Like, what would you respond? Or how would I respond in my heart? Like, I think it'd be easy to say, okay, I believed I was wholehearted. I'm done now. Like, I'm going to check out for a while. I'm just going to pull back. There'd be a huge disappointment. Imagine the disappointment. But we see a picture of what Caleb was like when they go, they go through the 40 years and come back ready to go into the land. And in, in the book of Joshua, Caleb comes to Joshua and speaks about this. And I'm just going to read out a bit of what he says because you get a picture of a man who stayed wholehearted even through the 40 years in the wilderness. And he's come back again, and he's still there, and he's still ready. He says this. This is Caleb speaking. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Out of, and my fellow Israelites who went up... Sorry, I can't see. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord God wholeheartedly. So, so even though they went back, Moses made this promise to, to Caleb that he would inherit and then he goes into the wilderness. He says, now then, just as the Lord has promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since that time he said this to Moses. Well, Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Listen to that. He's 40 years old, ready and willing to go, and it doesn't come through. And he goes for 40 years into the wilderness, and now he's 85 years old, and he's still wholeheartedly engaged with God ready to go forward. And, and he, he does it. And you can see even his, his posture and his faith in this. He, he talks about at the end there about the Lord helping them. 
But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out as he said. It's not that Caleb's this amazing guy that just sucks it up and he can just fight really hard and he's just like super tough and super strong. Like he probably is, but it's, that's not the thing. Like the, the point is he believed God. He trusted God's promise. Right back at the start, he trusted God's promise to enter the land. And even though it didn't happen then, he didn't stop trusting it. He still believed it. And he believed God's promise that he would get the land eventually. And now it's taken 40 years and he's back there and he's ready, still trusting and confident in God, even as an 85-year-old. And we see that he, he receives it. Joshua blessed Caleb, gave him Hebron as his inheritance. It's belonged to Caleb ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And that's just a beautiful picture of this kind of life, even in disappointment, even in taking 40 years longer than you'd think to stay engaged and wholehearted for God. And what, what would that look like uh, for us to be like that? And maybe there's things in our lives where we, maybe God has made a promise or God's calling us to step out into something. We believe that he's at work. And we might take a posture of, okay, well, I'll jump in for a little while and I'll just see how it goes. And if it goes good, good. And if it doesn't, then I'll just tap out. What would it look like to be actually, no, I'm just in and I'm in. I'm in for you, God, whatever it is. I'm in as long as it takes. I'm in wholeheartedly trusting you until you say to go somewhere else. I'm in, even though it's going to be painful and difficult and it's risky and vulnerable, I'm, I'm in. And that's that heart posture of being in. In listening to um, Mark Sayers, I don't talk about Mark Sayers all the time, but he, 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 one of his podcasts, he talked about just praying for God to move. And lots of people around the world are, are praying for, for revival, for God to move powerfully in, in our hearts and in churches and in regions. And that, that's actually our hope, is God's presence to move powerfully. And he said one time, like, what if it takes 10 years of prayer? What if it takes 20 years of prayer? Like, it's easy to sort of think, okay, we'll pray for a couple of years and then there'll be a revival. Like, then God will move. It's like, what if God's asking us to pray for a couple of decades? Will we stay engaged then? Will we stay wholehearted then? And it's a whole different picture of actually, yeah, that's the thing to be. No matter what, no matter how long it takes, we offer ourselves to him in worship. We offer ourselves and what he's given to us in service. We offer ourselves to each other in love because of who he is, because of what he's done. And actually, that's the safest and that's the best and the most life-giving place to be. And the place of hanging back and sort of saying, I'll just protect, I'll just hide, I'll just withdraw, is actually not the safe place. It's not a place of faith and trust in him. It's not a life-giving place of energy and enthusiasm and passion. It's, it's, it, it, it's a drain. It's tiring. It's difficult. And maybe there's a sense of it being uncomfortable com comfortable or familiar, but it's actually not a place that we're going to look back and say, actually, I'm really glad I stayed in that place. We're going to look back and say, actually, I'm really glad I gave everything and trusted him and engaged wholeheartedly in that season and was faithful to what he was calling me to do. And, and maybe there's a specific thing around that, or maybe that's... Again, I'm just preaching to myself, or maybe it's a season even as a church and we've kind of come through a difficult time, but there's a need to keep pushing forward in wholeheartedness and seek God for what he wants. So maybe let's stand together and I'll pray and then we'll sing. And even as, as we...
finish tonight, I encourage you, even just in your heart, to maybe deal with God and come to that place of actually I'm going to engage at my whole heart, with my whole body, with my whole life. I'm going to jump like that guy and trust that you'll catch me because you're faithful and I can trust you. So let's pray. Yeah, Father, we just thank you that you're our God, that you are close and you're faithful and you're good. We just remember, God, all the times that we've trusted you. We've stepped out and we've found that you're faithful. And we're just so sorry, God, that it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy just to think, okay, well, you're faithful then, but be unsure if you're going to be faithful in the future, but you will be. You're faithful. You've proven it. You're good. Father, would you just work in our hearts and our lives and make us people that are wholehearted. Make us people like Caleb, God, who even in the face of disappointment and, and needing to be patient, stay engaged with you and, and don't withdraw. So Father, would you, would you do a deep work in us by your Spirit? Remind us of your goodness and lead us to that place of trust and dependence and life and energy in you. So Holy Spirit, would you, would you meet with us now and, and strengthen us by your Spirit? to live wholehearted for you, for our whole lives. For your name's sake we pray. Amen.